Cinema Sex Ed contains strong language, sexual scenarios, and potentially offensive comments. It is intended for maturely immature audiences only. Rusty trombone. Hot Carl. Rim job. Toss my salad. Cinema Sex Ed. Cinema Sex Ed. Nipple clam. Chocolate coxicle. Pink taco. Hop on this, baby. Cinema Sex Ed. Cinema Sex Ed. Money shot. Anal intruder. Cleveland steamer. Gas mask. Cinema sex ed. Cinema sex ed. Reverse cowgirl. Yeehaw! Teabagging. Kama Sutra. Kama my face. Cinema sex ed. Cinema sex ed. Welcome back, students, to another episode of Cinema Sex Ed. I'm Miss Jenny. And I'm Miss Marcy. And class is in. Whenever we do that, Jenny and I always like really do a big ha-cha performing look to each other. And as many times as we've done that, we still we, fuck it up we in the still beginning. Fuck it up and have to redo it. You know, Jenny, uh, a friend of mine recently asked me why we don't do a video podcast version <laughs> of this. And I. I just told him, well, you should see us when we're recording. <laughs> we don't always maybe fully get it together. Yeah. I, <laughs> and we edit a lot. And it'd be, if we had somebody else like producing it, maybe. Oh, my God. Right? Where we all we had to do was kind well, of show up. For but... example, I uh, have come directly from the gym. So my, my it's usual we're wearing, the, we have the same hairdo today. Yes, we're wearing, both wearing a high pony. <laughs> and it's very sexy. It looks like we both just got up and just made it happen. I didn't even brush my hair today. I actually I'm have, clutching a snotty Kleenex. I've actually <laughs> showered and and have a little bit of makeup on. Ah, after well, my I upstairs neighbor stopped me and without I only had my base on and I was uh-huh. putting some laundry in and he was like, What's wrong with you? Are you okay? <laughs> you look so pale. Oh, don't you hate like, that? I, and I wanted to say, and you look like a piss boy. <laughs> <laughs> and you look fat in those pants. <laughs> I always want to lash out when someone says something like that to me. How am I supposed to respond to that? Thank, and so I was like, I just kind of, like, I was like, thank you? Like, I, I know. Which, oh, what's wrong? Yeah, like, yeah, what's like wrong? Haven't you ever seen a woman without her mascara? Fuck off. Personal. Personal moments. <laughs> this time around, we're covering The Graduate, which a lot of people have talked about as being one of their first, I feel funny down A there. lot of our male friends, this one goes out to the boys in our life. We're doing a special, this goes out to the boys in our life episode. Because for me, like that's, when I go down the list, it's my male friends, a lot of them. I first saw The Graduate with my mother and my sister when I was 12 years old. I don't remember the exact circumstances, but I was about 14 or 15 when I first saw The Graduate, and I thought it was a great movie and really cool. The Graduate to me is one of those rare movies that I saw it the first time when I was 21, and it meant one thing, and now, you know, at my older age, it means something completely different. I was 22, and I wanted to have that experience, and I didn't. And it seemed completely real. I just, I love the movie, everything about it. What was the most interesting thing you kind of found generally in those conversations you had um, with people about the film? <clears throat> uh, a lot of them went on to have a Mrs. Robinson experience. Really? So we have some of those. 
And I found that a lot of them were saying that that first moment when she just crossed her leg and they saw that hint that like that leg with the stocking on it was like <gasps> for them. in her jungle themed den yes yes she's stalking her prey yes and the thing i was most impressed with and the thing that really blew me away because maybe because i'm english and i always thought women didn't enjoy sex seeing mrs robinson wanting to have sex was an eye-opener for me and i thought oh so when I start having sex, I can rest assured that hopefully the woman will be enjoying it too because they want to enjoy it. I guess, you know, for, for young guys just coming of age, that hint, because there was never, there's never a lot of nudity in this movie. No. But that, all the hints of it, uh, a friend of mine was telling me this great story just this morning that when he watched it, it was right around the time when VCRs were really, you know, we all had, you know, started having them in our house. Oh, that made us all sound old. But, you know, he was a young guy, young teen. And um, that scene when she's naked, but she's never really naked, like you never really see. They went back with their VCR, he and his friends, like in the garage, and stopped it frame by frame to try and see if they could see her boob. He said to, for me to Google Mrs. Robinson's boob. I guess there's so th- a so lot of information. So you know, audience participation too. You too can, can Google, Google Mrs. Mrs. Robinson's, Robinson's boob. boob. Yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, there's. He said they they saw it for a second, but he's convinced it's not Anne Bancroft's boob because he thinks that Anne Bancroft has better boobs than the actual boob in this movie. He apparently spent a lot of time with Anne Bancroft's boob. I don't know. Oh, in thinking about it. Yeah, well. It sounds like he's not alone. You know what? That's what not showing will do, I think. Right. It's the titillation. 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 Titillation generation. He's from the titillation generation. I will start with just a summary based on um, an article that a woman named Nicole Smith wrote on Article Myriad. I just, again, I just pulled up somebody else's summary as opposed to trying to do one myself. Shout out to Nicole. So, Nicole, thanks uh, so much. I'm going to call her Nikki. (laughs) I feel really close to her right now. The Nick Smith. The Nickster. To summarize briefly, the 1967 film by Mike Nichols, The Graduate, revolves around the story of Benjamin Braddock, played by Dustin Hoffman, a recent college graduate who is at a crossroads in his life. Caught between adolescence and adulthood, he is searching for meaning in the upper-middle-class suburb world of his parents, and that's in Los Angeles. While at home between schools, he begins a sexual relationship with the wife of a neighbor, Mrs. Robinson. And just to clarify that, those are her words, and we're not quite sure if he's between schools, even though they keep talking about, it. has he thought about graduate school or not? And she's not really, I mean, she is one of the neighbors, but more than neighbors, she's, she's Benjamin's father's business partner. They're partners in, I think, a law firm. So Mrs. Robinson is, of course, played by Anne Bancroft, the goddess. We love her. I thought Anne Bancroft was beautiful just completely sexy and, and how sexy Anne Bancroft was um, wearing black 
Things become complicated, however, when Mr. Robinson and Benjamin's father attempt to arrange a date between two young people. Not wishing to violate his mistress's request, yet caught up in the wishes of his parents, Benjamin takes Elaine on a date, which is disastrous, as Benjamin tries to push her away. Eventually, however, the affair between Mrs. Robinson and Benjamin is discovered, and Elaine goes back to school at Berkeley. Benjamin stops his affair and essentially stalks Elaine at college, hoping to win her back. She is engaged to a man her parents find respectable and is about to marry him, but at the last minute, Benjamin takes a cross-country trip to try to stop Elaine! her marriage. Sorry, that was my impression. <laughs> to the horror of Mrs. Robinson and the other guests, he is successful and the two leave together, even though she's already been married. So, uh, spoiler alert, Elaine Robinson is played by Catherine Ross. So beautiful. Ugh. Oh. You know what I noticed um, that I never know. I well, what I never noticed before, but I noticed a lot of things watching, rewatching the movie. I had such a different take on it. Catherine Ross and Anne Bancroft in the movie actually, there they really did. There were some facial similarities. Yeah, it was great casting. Yeah, it was great casting. Catherine Ross. And this was one of those interesting things, too. Catherine Ross and and Bancroft weren't... And Bancroft was only 37 when she did. No, she was 35. 35? She was 35. Justin Hoffman was 29. And Catherine Ross was 27. Oh, my gosh. So, six years age difference between Mrs. Robinson and Ben in, you know, the in reality. But in the story, she was supposedly 45, which is my age. Which is really strange. Like, oh my God, I'm I'm that age. You're that Mrs. She's Robinson. Mrs. Robinson. Mrs. Wilson, you're trying to seduce me, aren't you? Would you like <coughs> me to seduce you, Miss Marcy? <laughs> Personal. Personal moments. You are pretty tasty in that poncho and. Hi. green sneakers today okay, so i don't know whether or not we talked about this i don't think i think we uh, we recorded the last podcast before my birthday but uh, both yoko and miss marcy both for my birthday <laughs> gave me ponchos which, we did uh, it is just i love them both let me just put that, state that out there for the record but it's also one of those things. Like, wow, I'm at that poncho phase of life. My, why did you think? Why did my husband and my heterosexual life partner buy me ponchos? Well, I also am starting to wonder: Would Mrs. Robinson wear a poncho? I don't think she would. Not unless it was in a leopard print. Yes, and low cut. A low cut. Poncho. A low cut leopard print poncho, which is actually something I would wear. Yeah. Miss Marcy does love her leopard print. I'm wearing a Mrs. Robinson bra today. She is. I I don't know. Jenny's wondering like about herself and the ponchos. I was wondering as I was watching the rewatching the graduate, I own just about a, an equivalent of everything Mrs. Robinson wore in that movie. Uh, the shoes, well, the stockings, the leopard here's to me. Mrs. Smolin. Miss Marcy Smolin. <laughs> you know, nothing sounds sexy with Smolin. The only thing that sounds good with Smolin is Rabbi. <laughs> We're going to be rolling a little smolen a little later on. I think you can, make, you can make it sound as sexy as you want it. Uh, you could call me Marcy Smokin'. 
Smoking Smolin. Smoking Smolin. I'm going to be smoking a little Smolin. I'm going to roll myself. I'm going to roll in the Smolin and smoking it up. Rolling, rolling, rolling. I am Marcy Smolin. There is a website uh, completely dedicated to how people misheard the lyrics of Mrs. Robinson. Here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. And here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. She's a slut. Oh, more than you could know. And Oh, wow. They're all slutty. Now, there's there's a question. Is Mrs. Robinson a slut? So that was my revelation from the uh, from my first viewing as a 14-year-old of The Graduate that women should like sex and do like sex. Who knew? There's another one. Anyway, I like your itchy boobs. This is itchy horrible. Boobs? I, God bless your sneeze, Mr. Rogers' son. I like that one. Okay. God bless the trees. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. So let's 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 talk a little bit about the history of this movie. Jesus loves you more than your old nose. Okay, I'll stop. So yeah, I'm not even quite sure that we're gonna be able to use any of that if I can't really. Fix. Maybe we should go back. They're funny. <laughs> okay, I'm holding on to the dream. We're just having some technical difficulties, so you may or may not have had the benefit of hearing <laughs> some of Marcy's uh, singing of the lyrics of. Mrs. Robinson, as interpreted by others, I guess. Yeah, people misheard lyrics. Would you like to sing some of your favorites? Yes, I would. Okay. But now I have to unlock my phone again. In in your research, did you read any of the things about that song? Did I yeah. read about that song? Of the Simon music, and Garfunkel? Yeah, the, the music in... The Graduate and how it is used. I mean, it's as much a character as Mrs. Robinson and Ben. Looking at Mrs. Robinson was uh, a seminal time in my life. That juxtaposed with the Simon and Garfunkel song, which I could obsess about over and over again. Um, So now I had a visual and an auditory. Yowza! Oh my gosh. I Yeah, that whole Simon and Garfunkel album that was used, well, those are all the first songs I learned to play on the guitar. Ah. For me, it's very personal. Personal. Personal moments. Sounds of Silence. Oh, my God. There was an album, I think, Rosemary Sage. Um, no, are you going Sage. to Scarborough Fair? Yeah. Uh, but are no, no, but the title of the album is like Sage, Rosemary, and Time uh, by Simon and Garfunkel, and it came out before the movie did. And... Um, it wasn't associated with the movie, but Mike Nichols' brother gave him a copy. And when they were editing the film, he was editing it. He and the editor, uh, I think the guy's name Sam Steen, I want to say, they were using it in the editing and they struck a deal, Mike, Mike Nichols, with Simon and Garfunkel, who were not really into doing movie music. It wasn't like it is now. Plus, it was very, it seemed very establishment, and they were not establishment at that time. So they struck an agreement that Simon and Garfunkel would write, like, three new songs for the movie, and then they would use all this other stuff from that album. Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Time. Thank you. Are you going to Scarborough Fair? Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. 
And as time was going on, Paul Simon, I guess, really is a thoughtful, slow songwriter, and he didn't get around to it. It was not a priority to him. So he was playing Mike Nichols some of the music that he'd been working on other stuff, and this was a song he was writing, and the lyric was Mrs. Roosevelt. And Mike Nichols was like, no, that now it's Mrs. Robinson. And so that changed it. I, love that. I did history. not know that. That's really cool, Jen. Yeah. So... Thanks to Mike Nichols' brother. Thanks to you, Mrs. Roosevelt. Yeah, that doesn't... Yeah. Not the same. Uh, and I'm sure it had a totally different meaning than it means to so many people now. And here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you will know. Um, God, I love that music, though. But you can't imagine that film with any other music. Oh, my, it was so perfect. It's It really captures an attitude and the age, you know, that, that time, like what it was like to be young at that time. It was a shift. It makes me think that my good first guitar teacher, Rosie Latimer, who, by the way, wore ponchos. <laughs> Rock on Rosie. And um, it was not in the 60s when I took guitar lessons because that would have not been really something that would have been possible. So it was later than that, you know, but I was a little girl and um, I was about 11 when I started playing guitar. She must have been trapped in a time because that's what my, that like that songbook, the Simon and Sar Garfunkel, and like Sarmunkel, Sar Sarman, <laughs> Sarman and Sarmunkel, you know, those guys, they were fantastic. Garmin and Sarmunkel. Um, yeah. Sounds of Silence was the first song I ever learned how to play. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly. I can, like, my fingers are itching to play it right now. And I wish you could, but it would drive Sookie crazy. I know, I can't play guitar in Jenny's house. The other day we were at the park and just some guy was sitting there with his guitar and we were a ways away. And I was like, Yoko, check it out. Like, she's not reacting to the guitar. And as we were leaving and walking by, she just runs up and just starts barking at him viciously. Like, ah! Oh my God, that's so. Like, I wonder what it. What? I don't know. I think you know. The dog it's kind of, well, she's a rescue like dog, and rescue dogs have like we don't know. Maybe we have no idea. Maybe like, she was you know abused by a, a guitar a, playing <laughs> guitar playing like, hobo. I, yeah, with mylar balloons because she's terrified of those as wow. well. Wow. Yeah, she's got some really. You know, animals are interesting. Um, I. A scary man with a guitar and mylar balloons is not that scares me as well. It, it mylar balloons, with me. I'm with you, especially if they had a happy face on them, because you know I'm scared of happy faces. <laughs> right, RC doesn't like inanimate <laughs> objects with faces. Yeah, especially that ha happy face. Like, I have a happy you day. Have really, you have grown. I have grown. You have. I faced a lot of my fears. Yes, I have. sit in booths and restaurants. I don't run from the gingerbread man, and I'm not afraid of clowns anymore. Quite the opposite. I don't know. I, I still have a, a fear of clowns, but that that's for me and my therapist to discuss. Personal. Personal moments. In the making of this movie, it, it's based on a book. I rented the movie and I read and read the novel also, right after I had graduated from college myself. And I remember just understanding Benjamin's 
that weird period of life. In the book, and, and this is something we, we, we can talk about too, the book is kind of all this wasp, white, upper middle class, almost like Holden Caulfield group. And nobody wanted to make make the movie other than Mike Nichols. The producers couldn't get people behind it, couldn't get a studio attached. It took a long time. Finally, Mike Nichols had gotten a lot of attention. He was a big stage director. He had been a stand-up with Elaine May. Nichols and May, they were amazing. Information. Uh, operator, give me the number, please, of uh, George Kaplan, K-A-P-L-A-N, at 4411 Huguenot Walloon Drive. That is George Kaplan. Yes, that's right. That is Kaplan. Mm -hmm, yes. That is K as in knife. <laughs> And so they had certain fans in the industry, like people in the know, but they really couldn't get studio backing and people behind it until he had done Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And suddenly he got more cachet. The first draft of the script was written by a guy who actually got credit Buck Henry didn't know until later on that there were any other drafts that were written. The first draft I love was just, Buck Henry. Oh, Buck Henry is awesome. They brought him on because, well, I'm not quite sure whether he knew Mike Nichols and Elaine May through the comedy world or what the whole connections were. But at the time, Buck Henry was writing and co-created Get Smart with Mel Brooks, which is another connection to Wait, Anne, Anne Bancroft, yeah, who had married Mel Brooks a couple of years after they she They were such a great couple. Yeah. Oh, my God. And she also had the cachet of winning the Oscar for Miracle Worker. She was respected on the stage and had a certain level of maturity about her even though she was only 35 but she was very respected in the field as an actor buck henry was the, the his cameo was more than a cameo as the clerk at the hotel desk was was quite amazing i have a buck henry story though that's nothing to do with this okay personal personal moments one night i was shopping with a friend in drake's adult bookstore at Rose. Do you remember Drake's? It was, there used to be like a yes. naughty bookstore. I don't think it's there anymore. Like where, you know, and you know, as immature people, we would go in there and pick up sex toys and um, laugh at them. Uh, you know. It's a rite of passage. It is. Yeah. And so I was in there one night with a bunch of comedians after a show at the improv. I don't know why we'd like to go there and laugh at vibrators. Don't ask me why. And, the vibrators uh, are funny. They are funny. Vibrators. Vibrators. Wonderful. I love them. And we looked over and Buck Henry was standing in line waiting to make a purchase. And we were so excited because it was Buck Henry. And then we noticed that he was buying something we had laughed at earlier, which was, um, do you remember hippity hops? Hippity hops were like these balls with a handle on them. Yeah, they're sort and, of like the yeah, they're like ball, but they like were right yeah, there. yeah, yeah. But they had a handle on them, yeah. and you would sit on it and hippity hop. Well, they had one of those, but instead of a handle, it had a big penis that you sat on, and that's what Buck Henry was buying. You have to imagine though, he was probably going to a party. It, a I'm sure. Story. I am sure that it was a gag gift for somebody. But from then on, 
Whenever I saw Buck Henry for a minute, I had a glimpse of him sitting on a penis hippity hop. You know that Buck Henry has a dark, dirty side. <laughs> I mean, that's how all comics do, right? Yeah. But I mean, he's just like, he's that guy, you know, yeah. is just like a little twisted and perverse. Nasty. But that is those moments as a celebrity, you know, that you probably don't want someone to, like, he probably was on his way to buy this as a gag gift for a party, but in my mind forever, whenever I see him, just for a minute, I have that glimpse of him bouncing on a penis sippity hop. There was a time before cell phones and selfies well, and I wish Instagram I could have taken a Twitter, photo. Like, yeah. you know, Facebook posts. Hey, I just saw at Buck Henry <laughs> at hashtag Drake's. Penis right? hippity hop. Right. I wish they still had penis hippity hops. I'd like to buy you one. They might have a penis hippity, hippity hop. hop. They might. We'll have to look that up. I'd Here's buy you one coming. for... I'm getting a hippity hop. <laughs> That's your Christmas present, Miss Jenny. So, <laughs> what about other members of the cast? So, we talked about Catherine um, Ross. The, well, yes, this but... Is Dustin Hoffman's first movie. Uh, when I saw The Graduate, it just completely blew me away. I loved the movie. I'd never seen Dustin Hoffman before in anything. He was great. You know, Dustin Hoffman, who I have never... There's two things that I noticed when re-watching the movie about Dustin Hoffman. One, I found him attractive in this movie, and I've never really found him attractive before. But, like, there was points, like, when he was laying in the pool and he was just wearing his trunks, he looked really good. Like, he was very toned, and he had a nice little... I don't know, I was attracted to him. But then there were also points in the movie... With his vocal patterns that I flashed upon Rain Man. Of course, I'm an excellent driver. I had that same experience. Did you? <laughs> I had the same experience. And something else I read was talking about, it may have been, there's a really great Vanity Fair article that's all about The Graduate from, I don't know, maybe early 2000s. Um, and they were talking about how his performance, people around were noticing that he was picking up mannerisms and little quirks of Mike Nichols. That he was oh. sort of channeling Mike Nichols. It's like the, the all the actors in Woody Allen films. Yes, how they all yes. Do, yes. They all become Woody Allen, sort of. And so that was kind of the impression that people were getting that he was picking up these little isms from Mike Nichols. And some other people were talking about Benjamin Braddock as being an alter ego for Mike Nichols. And that's the other thing. Again, the book was written about like white people. It was not the 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 Jewish issue was, which is never talked about in the film and is never discussed. Or if you weren't thinking on those levels, I don't think that it would even occur to somebody. It's just right. part of the movie. But there's a whole line of analysis about the differentness of him, of Dustin Hoffman, of Benjamin Braddock, of casting him, because originally they wanted to cast Robert Redford, and Robert Redford Could wanted to imagine? do it. And and what would that have been like? And looking back, like, yeah, can you imagine when she's running off at the end with the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, or what, not running off, when she's marrying at the end, the big man on campus, the right. blonde-haired, blue-eyed Carl Smith, or whatever his name is, like, if you've got that up against Robert Redford, it doesn't, it doesn't have the no. same impact. It oh, have, like, and that last vision of them in the bus. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with yeah. you Yeah, and I mean, I'm t- 
totally with her in that moment where I would be more likely to have left the tall, blonde, blue-eyed guy for the short, interesting, weirdo, Jewish boy. ethnic guy. Right, yeah. So there's that, but it's never talked about. Well, and also you when he says, do have your roganitis. Right. <laughs> My previously diagnosed roganitis. <laughs> It is the, uh, the middle-aged woman's attraction to doughy men. Uh, Dustin Hoffman ha- does look better in this than I think he might in anything. And after this, I found came him midnight, really sexy. Came midnight this. cowboy after this, you know. So when you really oh, think about yeah. the difference in physicality, and he's so good that he can do. And he was a stage actor and hadn't done anything. And they there's a story in the. Vanity Fair article that he talks about when he came out to audition and not feeling like he got it at all, feeling like he screwed everything up, and <coughs> the surprise when he actually got the call from Mike Nichols that they were casting him. But they'd been looking for the right Benjamin Braddock, and suddenly this is the person after all these... I mean, Warren Beatty, Robert Redford, I'm trying to think of who else was was in the mix for it, but really Robert... Redford, just like uh, Mr. Robinson was originally Gene Hackman. Oh my God! But William Daniels is not that different. And well, William, William ba- Daniels is Mr. Braddock, the guy who plays the dad. Oh, Mr. Rob, the guy who plays is uh, you mean Mr. Robinson? Yeah, Mr. Robinson. Oh, yeah. He replaced Gene Hackman, who was too young. Like, they didn't believe he played old enough to be Mr. Robinson. Which is so funny because Anne Bancroft was 35. I know. know. And, you know, it's so funny because Anne Bancroft was so sexy in that movie. Very sexy. But she did not look young. No. But then she looked the same way for 40 years after that. Well, they originally wanted Doris Day. That was the dream cast was Doris Day and... Gene Hackman and that married really to Gene funny. Hackman and Robert Redford, right? So, yeah, Gene Hackman was actually fired three weeks into rehearsal. Really? Yeah, just because. Boy, that really because, hurt his career, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, is he went right from that into Bonnie and Clyde. Oh God! So oh, that really it worked out well. For yeah, him. it worked out well for him, and it didn't hurt him in the long run. But when he got fired, Dustin Hoffman was sure he was going to get fired, right? And I think Hoffman and Bancroft, their skills are so apparent because you believe he's 21. You believe right. she's 45. There's going to be a little paper sucky issue here because I'm feeling a little... <clears throat> and I need to insert a lozenge in my mouth. Where are you inserting that lozenge? In my mouth. Personal. Personal moments. <laughs> So the movie was made in 1967. It was made for about $3 million. We were we were talking about the design of the den being like a jungle theme with Marcy's jungle print. So the production designer, Richard Silbert, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, he was very thoughtful about making her animalistic, making Mrs. Robinson sort of this predatory animal and creating that space i loved it i loved that you know when we were first again when we were first talking to people about their movies their first movies that made them feel funny down there and this movie for me with a lot of men of a certain age this movie kept coming up which is why we decided to do this next because 
you know, we're sort of going by what's been higher on our list of how many people. Um, and it also says something about the people that we're talking to. <laughs> the age. I mean, we're not yeah. talking to 20 somethings. But we do them. have some coming up that we're from yeah. our younger. Yes. Whatever it is, B will be for our younger audiences. Yeah, well, and also for younger audiences, I think it's it's good to well to watch classic cinema sex ed. It's cinema sex ed. It's cinema sex ed. Right, but I think that was the thing that a lot of people were saying is they wanted that movie made them want to seek out an older woman. My Mrs. Robinson's story was in the south of France, where an older lady. She was thirty-five. I was eighteen. She she was hot. This is one of those topics that I think is worth talking about. Sure. The older woman, younger man dynamic. And there's there's certain things about this film that I think watching it now don't seem as salacious as they did at the time. Because we've seen that kind of relationship sure. in all different kinds of our incarnations over the years. I mean, and even more recently, like Demi Moore and Ashton Kutcher or Mariah Carey and Nick Cannon. Right. You know, we see these high profile couples with, you know, more than a decade difference in their ages. There's even some, there's some movies on our list, like that class, that movie with mm-hmm. Jack, was it Jacqueline Bissett and Rob Lowe when she seduced him or um, what was the babysitter one? There weren't as many movies like that, especially not mainstream. Right. And it kind of is reversing the roles of the gender roles. So we've got gender role differences going Mm -hmm. on here as well with the strong, liberated, sexually free older woman. Uh, Although one might argue, is she really sexually free? There's, There's still some sort of repression there, I think, or she's using it as a weapon. Well... She was. I don't think she was because I think she was in love with him. I think she. I think that not not in love, but I think that she used him to fill in a a missing part of her life. Oh, definitely that. But I think that she got really hurt. This is another area of discussion as well is the psychology of her. That there's she's a bit of a drama queen. She's kind of a bored suburban housewife. She's someone who has let her dreams fade away, got right, pregnant, no and married school. a man that she doesn't sound like she loved and, you know, has settled for this comfortable lifestyle, but is, you know, she doesn't like to be in the home alone. She's, she's sort of... Yeah, there of... was that, that really touching moment when, in the, the one time when he said to her, can we talk? Can we talk before we do this? Can we have a conversation? She's like, I don't know. What do you want to talk about? You know, and they, she was so, she didn't want to talk. And then that one subject came up. She's like, I don't want to talk about that. And she goes, well, they, let's talk about art, you know, and they sort of like poo-pooed it and got that fight. And then finally said, well, when he found out she well, had she to said, quit school. She said, well, yeah, let's talk about art. And she says, I don't know anything about art. Yeah. And then when they find out later after he finds out that she had to quit school because she got pregnant with Elaine and to get married. And he said, well, what did you major in? And she said, art, quietly into her pillow. I was like, oh, you know. Well, and that is the moment in the film where everything shifts, where the power dynamic shifts, where she has 
let down her guard even for a brief moment. Right. He suddenly has gotten in, gotten under her skin, gotten to her, whether because of him, like you're saying, you know, whether she actually has an attachment to him or, you know, just he's representative of something. Well, he suddenly had the power to hurt her. Yes. And she and gave he that does, up. And he oh, takes it in that moment. Yeah. This, that scene is really really interesting in terms of the dynamic between the two of them and you see that the teacher has now or the student has now become the teacher or the master because there's also in my my opinion my reading of it there's a very strong submissive dominant theme too i mean she really humiliates him in the beginning She's like playing with him. She's teasing him. You know, what we're seeing is being very sexy. There's there's this power dynamic at play that she's getting off on, like, not really asking for what she wants, making him ask for it, humiliating him. You know, well, I didn't say that. Kind of, well, why would you say that? And is that what you want? You want me to do that? Getting him to the point where it's like she wants... She wants to seduce him, but instead of doing it, she turns it on him to make it seem as if he wants her to do it. Oh, my God. Pardon? Oh, no, Mrs. Robinson. Oh, no. What's wrong? Mrs. Robinson, you didn't... I mean, you didn't expect... What? I mean, you didn't really think I'd do something like that. <laughs> like what? What do you think? <laughs> well, I don't know. For God's sake, Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> Here we are, you got me into your house, you give me a drink, you put on music, now you start opening up your personal life to me and tell me your husband won't be home for hours. So? Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Have you ever been somebody's Mrs. Robinson? No. I have. <laughs> you know, um... But, but, but what do you, but let's, let's also talk about what you mean by Mrs. Robinson. I was, I mean, you uh... like, seducing the neighbor's... No, but I was an older woman and it was the in a younger man situation. But technically, I didn't set out to seduce him. Like it was it came from him. Right. And I had a moment where I was like, oh, should I be doing this? And I don't know if it was the time. I wouldn't do it now. Like it's not interesting to me now. But, you know, a few years back when it happened. I don't know, you know, your different phases in your life. And there was something about his incredible eagerness to be with me, you know, because there's something about somebody who is really still at the um, excited part of his sexuality that's very appealing, especially when you know that you can introduce him to things or teach him a few things. There is a there is a power in that. It's the malleability. Yeah. And um we had a really good time. And but I have to say honestly that for me there was that moment when there was a power shift and suddenly he had the power and that's when I ended it because I knew that I would have the potential to be hurt by the situation and I, that's when I removed myself from it. Yeah, I think there's something about the older woman fantasy. When I was 22, I had an affair with my 40-year-old neighbor and I'd never had anything like it 
and I discovered why older women were awesome, and it was because they were comfortable in their own skin, they knew what they liked, there was no games, they just said what they wanted, and it was amazing, and learning experience for me, and probably something else for her. Was the age difference as dramatic as this? Because if she's supposedly 45 and he's 21, that's a 24-year age difference. Yes, it was. Okay. so It wasn't very long ago. <laughs> um, no, I mean, not that dramatic, but it was pretty dramatic. I've had... I he had was a rela- pretty. Sorry. I had a relationship with someone who was 16 years older than me. But there's something also, and this is part of the discussion, I think, that there's something that more socially I don't know if it's expected or even acceptable but just seems a little bit more like oh yeah whatever for a woman to be younger than the man yeah and I think that's changed in a lot of ways but um what is the the difference because what you talked about like the eagerness of the younger man the sort of openness and the vitality it was it was the openness yeah it was the like I, everything that I brought to the plate for him in the boudoir <laughs> was really exciting. Like he made me feel so sexy, you know, plus there was that power thing. There was that, that owning your sexual power. You know, I liked that because I'm a little insecure, you know. And with him, I was not, I was not insecure. I was like, come here, you know, but then the more he learned, the more powerful he became, the more I sensed that there might be, you know, there was potential for me to be heard. And which is what happened, I think, with Anne Bancroft in this. Personal. Personal moments. I've had a lot of relationships and sexual experiences with men who were younger than I am, but not that significant of, yeah. of, of a difference. I mean, even Yoko's five years younger than I am. Oh, right. I forgot that. And there are... You're a cougar. <laughs> but that, that also brings to <coughs> brings into question what what is the the point at which it becomes that big of a difference like a generation difference I you know and I think that this is true with men and women when you're dating someone or involved with someone who's significantly like 10 years plus younger than you or older than you you've got different points of reference you've got different associations with times in your life you know what music were you listening to in high school when did you see certain movies even with Yoko and I with only five years there's certain times where I'm like oh right I was entering college and you were re- entering high school. and so, That's so weird, isn't yeah, it? My really parents different. were 13 years apart. And my, they used to like to joke that when my father was going into the army, my mother was starting kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's, it's, very, it's very subjective and it, it's different for everybody and what, what era you were in as well. And probably also what was role modeled for you, I think, if you... If, if you had parents with significant age difference, then it might not seem as odd either, right? For some people, for, you know, to marry, for a woman who had an older father to marry an older man might feel very natural and comfortable. Right. 
Yeah, it's funny, but that's never been my thing. They actually say that, if I can find it, because I think I wrote it down, that um, relationships, marriages between people where the woman is older than the man, not, not that significantly older, but older, tend to be more successful. Hello, Jenny, my old friend. <laughs> I've come to talk to you. I'm sorry, I was oh, filling okay. in with music. So in an article, <laughs> so in an article on the psychology of women quarterly in 2000, women 10, 10 years or more older reported that they were more satisfied and more committed in their relationships than those who were in relationships with peers or um, or who were younger than their partners. So women who were 10 years or more uh, older than their partners felt more satisfied. Well, you know, um, and my apologies to men my own age, and I love you and, you know, uh, I find you sexy and attractive and all of that. But I think that the Mr. Wiener <laughs> gets a little tired. And um, that's the name of um, my next sh uh book by the way mr wiener gets tired um mr wiener goes to camp we're gonna start a series but uh you know it's just a biological fact that you know the um uh it's nice to have an eager penis <laughs> it's eager nice penis. to have it's nice to have a missile that's always ready for action <laughs> It's nice to have a penis hippity hop. The red button. The penis ready button. Ready to launch. I, you know, it's there's something really, yeah, exciting about a uh, a guy that's at attention at all times. So the dating site Elite Singles, <laughs> in their data and research, they say that men aged twenty to twenty nine preferred older women, but only between three to six years older. Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and women aged 20 to 29 preferred older men. For women, it makes sense because if, if women are looking for more stability or somebody who's already kind of settled into a career who has more time to concentrate on building a relationship and a family, then an older man might seem great. You know, a younger man who's still trying to figure out who he is and what he's doing might hold less appeal, especially when that biological clock is going off right. the chain. Uh, there's also, this is also a period of time in a woman's life between the ages of 27 and 45, although that it may be extending um, at so many periods of time in our lives are now that's like, jenny saying that because she's 45 <laughs> uh but this is it's it, they refer to it as a as an age of sexual expediting yeah and so sexual expediting talk, yeah we hear about this a lot like oh you know women middle-aged women you know you you hit your sexual peak when you're 35 or whatever which i think is i'm at my sexual bullshit. peak right now i think yeah right now in every this minute, chair every minute i'm in my sexual <laughs> peak as far as i'm concerned but it, it's about our biology and that the the idea is that the body is saying basically you don't have much time left everything's shutting down Gotta use it now. going out of business everything must go closing sale <laughs> get your freak on now right it's like you know bargain bin get all your eggs now uh, so so women kind of get like 
hot and hornier at this time. And I think probably in the 60s, too, coming off of the cookie-cutter, father-knows-best ideologies right. of the 1950s, a lot of middle-aged women were finding themselves in suburbia, like Mrs. Robinson, going like, is, is that all there is? Right. Is that all there is? Is that all there is? And that was something I, I was thinking about, too. In this movie, at the beginning of the movie, he's home, and it's his it's a party, I guess, because he's just gotten home from college. Just graduated, yeah. And the dad, William Daniels, who's wonderful, right? And uh, But I can't look at him without thinking of St. Elsewhere. Really, I always think of John Adams in 1776. And, <laughs> and John Adams is, like my favorite founding father like i have a i have a, a, a john adams do you want a mrs robinson john adams I, <laughs> I want john adams to be the mrs robinson no he's like to your benjamin he's he's centuries older than me right you know what a centuries older older man has things to offer yeah like <laughs> like dust dust <laughs> and and you know a lot of knowledge he could he could do it with you for and he could he could insert all the founding fathers into your. I want him to give Pilgrim me his salt vagina. Peter John. That's a little 1776 joke for those in the know. Abigail, what's in these kegs? Salt Peter John. You are that is hot. Jenny. That is that that's a deep track. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so William Daniels, the father, but he makes he makes a comment about uh, it must be so nice, to, or it's so nice to have so many friends, and because Benjamin doesn't want to come out of his room, this is at the top of the movie, right? And then he comes down, and all the friends are all the parents' friends at his birthday party too, and at his birthday party a and couple he months never later, see any yeah, his his peers other than when Elaine comes. Right, that was really weird. He did he had no friends. He had no friends, and they were sitting there listing off his accomplishments. He was a track star. That right. He... Hey, there's the award-winning scholar. We're all very proud of you, Ben. How are you, track star? What are you going to do now? I was going to go upstairs for a minute. Oh, I meant with your future. Your life. Well, that's a little hard to say. I wasn't quite clear what he had graduated in, but that he had won some big award. Jenny, I have one word for you. Plastics. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, sir. You. Plastics. That's from. That's my favorite scene in the movie. I have one word for you, Benjamin. Plastics. And that's all, Buck Henry. Apparently, there's a lot of things in the movie that are just directly from the book, but that is 100% Buck Henry. So, we love you even more for that hippity hop. I have one word for you, penis hippity hop. <laughs> that's more than one word, but Buck. Hippity hop, Henry. <laughs> How much sexual experience do you think Dustin Hoffman's character, Benjamin, ben Benjamin had? <clears throat> I don't think he had any. I'll get undressed now. Is that all right? Sure. Shall I? I mean, shall I just stand here? I mean, I don't know what you want me to do. Why don't you watch? Oh, sure. Thank you. 
do you think that he'd even made out with a girl or i don't know but there that moment in that in that same scene when she well that was a different scene i'm sorry when she accused him of, of having of being sexually inexperienced and he got really mad and he turned off the lights and in the darkness was their first time having sex that was hot that was one of those moments too where she's like humiliating him she's bullying him it's a little 50 shades of gray taunting him teasing him like are you a virgin i think that, that could be very damaging to somebody um our friend was telling me that when he watched the movie as a young boy he had that you know found her sexually attractive all that but when as he watched it as a grown man recently he went wow she yeah humiliated him took advantage of him and then he got him with the creepy stalking and Berkeley. And there were some very creepy things about the movie. As an adult with our life experience, you know, we see it very differently now. When I first saw it, Mrs. Robinson was just this next door neighbor seductress. Ben was this cool kid, just got out of college, hooking up with this sexually adventurous woman. I mean, it was just really, it was really, it was it was a big turn on and she was beautiful and he was just being shown the ropes by this next door neighbor i mean what a amazing fantasy right and then you know as an adult i'm watching it and it it the, the movie has a completely different meaning after it was made stunning that all the studio people, all executives kept saying, this, we don't want to release this. This is not going to make any money. This is terrible. It's a terrible movie. And they were going to release it only in art houses, which were at that time art houses. There were weren't. Like, they there were was. soft porn, you know, places. And Mike Nichols was very, very upset. So somebody came up with the idea of which which Mike Nichols did not want to do, but that Mike Nichols and Dustin Hoffman would go and tour college campuses and talking to kids and I think showing the movie. And then eventually when it got released, it just blew up and it just exceeded everybody's expectation. And Mike Nichols really just handed it to all those executives that he would run into everywhere and be like, yeah, the graduate, not funny, not going to be a good movie, not can't be whatever, you know, it's here it is. It was the third highest grossing movie of the year of 1968 when it was when it was released yeah by the end of its run it was the third highest grossing film of 1968 and that was after nobody wanted to make it wow it was gonna be like wow and it continues to be on every greatest films of all time list yeah continually to this day and it it's an iconic film for so many people hello darkness my old friend I've come to talk with you again because a vision let's talk, uh, let's talk more about the darkness of it. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk to you again because <laughs> a vision softly weeping. It's Sorry. this. It's this coming of age story about this kid, like in between phases of his life. He was only. 20 the first time he had sex with mrs robinson that is so young being a no he was 21 no he was 20 he hadn't turned 21 yet i thought or was it after his 21st birthday yeah where he went to the phone booth that's right he left his party and went to the phone booth and there's that moment cinematically 
where okay there is two true okay we're talking about like we're talking about the boy versus the man and it's again a, his birthday party with his parents all the parents friends and the big what's the big present that his dad has bought him and oh, is so excited oh like, god that's right that was the weirdest scene it was the weirdest thing and and he's like where's my boy and then the dad sort of changes it like i mean where's the young man and he's trying to talk to his parents and obviously they're not hearing him or listening to him or respecting him and when you get his point of view you can't even hear the adults he's in a big scuba suit like old school like 20,000 leagues yeah, practically 20,000 <laughs> leagues under the sea and then i love there were so many with great... a harpoon <laughs> yeah like, well you got to have the harpoon like, for the, the pool you get a harpoon in the pool right and that was a great that was another one of those great mike nichols shots where we were seeing it from behind the mask and the breathing through the you know sound design in this film it was great just timeless what you can learn from watching this film in terms of the sound the how it's used the sound bridging between scenes where he's in one scene and he's saying something like there's a scene where he's having a conversation with his mother and he's like wait a minute and then the next shot is the light going on. That line is playing over the darkness and the light goes on and he's in bed with Mrs. Robinson. You know, those kinds there of transitions. There was a few of those. Oh, yeah, that whole, like, montage where he's in the hotel with her. Or what about when he was floating on the float and it looked like he was on top of Mrs. Robinson and then you heard his dad, Benjamin, 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 what are you doing? Ben, what are you doing? And it turned into, like, what am I doing with my life? And he was actually alone, and he was just, you know. Which is also part of the conversation about sexual shaming. You know, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing on top of that woman? You know? Right. And and it's cut where he jumps onto the pool float. At The next shot is him on top of Mrs. Robinson. Right. And those moments are just so beautifully done cinematically. And back to the scuba suit, that sequence... Right before he makes the first call, he's at the bottom of that pool. It's all white, and he's, like, in the corner. I feel like I was suffocating in that scene. Absolutely. I think that's I think that's the intent. Yeah. That he's being suffocated by them or their expectations or their gifts. And it kind of relates to what's going on today with a lot of millennials who are going to college and away from their parents, who've been doing everything for them for so long, and then suddenly freaking out. There's a great Psychology Today article that came out this year called Crisis You that talks all about this and how how high the prevalence of mental health issues are becoming with college students, especially upper middle class, middle class, upper middle class kids going away to college for the first time. Because they don't know how to adapt. They don't know how to function. They feel overwhelmed. You know, we hear about parents going with the kids to orientation and to their classes. And they all, yeah, no, it's, that's, that's, that's the norm now. And Getting them set up in the dorm. in this movie, too, where they're, like, living their lives vicariously through him. Or... Well, you know, I think, too, that for that time, right after you graduate from college... For so many people is that is a freak out time, you know, that like, what did you, what did you do the year after you graduated from college? Personal, personal moments. What did you do? I was out here and struggled. 
I yeah. struggled so hard. I got because I got my degree in theater, you know. Hello. So I remember my first when I graduated from college. Well, I had a crazy year because I, you know, I was going to be an actress full time. So I got a waitress job. I was doing a play. I was interning at an acting school, and then my father died, and uh, you know, so I had to like grow up really fast and I was only 20 you know as I graduated really young and I had to grow up really fast and then immediately felt like right after college like I've got to do everything responsibly and then I drifted man I drifted for a while I didn't I refused to grow up like I got really grown up then I refused to grow up for a while now I'm really grown up again but (laughs) sure and that makes sense when you think about it yeah like you were denied that or, or there's a feeling that there was a denial of that period of questioning, of ac- exploring different things, of figuring out what was going on because you had something really heavy and and present that you had to take care of. You couldn't yeah. be thinking about the future. You had to be in that moment dealing with the past. I'm a parent. huge believer in not in in that right after you graduate from college taking time you know like my nephew just graduated from college and he's going on a huge he's traveling he's going on a huge trip and i'm like you go god enjoy that you know this is that time and so many parents i feel have expectations and i think that this is one of those things that is apparent in this film um apparent about parents in this film is that they're, they have all these expectations for him. Maybe they're not being really clear with him on what they are. But, but it's they like, are suffocating you know, him. Yeah, they're like, you have to do something. What are you going to do? Like, oh, well, like, you know, it's okay for a guy to take, you know, some time. But it's been Two three, weeks. It's been, like, I think he said three weeks. But still, I was like, three weeks? I and know. The kid's what, supposed to be having a job or... You know, you at know. least let him have the summer. Right. You know, your last summer vacation. That wasn't clear. And also, was never. they never talked about... Obviously, from the beginning, his his comment is, or his line that he repeats over and over is, I'm worried about my future. Yeah, he was freaking out. But there's never a conversation. He never really talks about what he wants for his future until the end. But he doesn't talk about what it is that he wants to do. He doesn't talk about what the skill set is that he has. And I think it was implied that he was going to go to law school. because his, Was you know, it? Yeah. I also thought that it was interesting, and I may have misheard this, so please, if anybody knows, you can let me know, but that the award that he supposedly won was, like, the Hoperman, like, the like the word hope man in that. I thought that was kind of, I don't know what the Hoperman award would be or be for. Marcy can, can look it up, but I thought that uh, in a kind of literary sense that that was interesting. And then again, going back to the sexuality and trying to find yourself and what is becoming a man? Is becoming a man just graduating from college? Is it getting that fast, bright red Alfa Romeo that his parents have given him? Is it having an affair with an older woman? Is it getting married? Because that was sort of an expectation too that that oh well you know you get a job you go to graduate school you get married and then everything's okay you know then the parents would be okay right <laughs> well 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 
Ben says that he and Elaine are getting married. <laughs> I don't believe it. That's what he says, right? I'm going up to Berkeley today. <laughs> At the time, the sexual content was really considered risky, as we've said, and even though it seems so conservative now, and there's no actual sex scenes. There are scenes in the hotel, there's sort of post and pre-coital, there's turn off the lights, and there's... You never even... You see them kiss once and it's the most unsexy kiss. Oh my god, it's Talk so unsexy. About bad move alerts. Ooh. Where he... Like, his awkwardness... I mean, you mentioned Rain Man, and yes, there's there's definitely that Rain Man feel, but there's also this like autistic yes. feeling where I mean he doesn't know how to use his body. But that's again one of those actor things that I thought was really well done and beautiful that he was able to have that awkwardness and then you see him floating in the pool after you know he's been having sex with her for a while or has been been having sex with her and there's a confidence about him. His physicality changes. I went, I typed in what award did uh, Benjamin win in the graduate? And it was this like really tiny print, really long explanation. So fuck that. Maybe we've already hit on this with talking about Mrs. Robinson giving him the power to hurt her at a certain point. But I'm wondering what you feel her feeling why why you think she didn't want him to date her daughter well it's icky that's my deep analysis you I think mean, though that she's really thinking in those terms in terms of um, icky or not because she's I think sleeping was, with a 21 she's right the 21 year old son of her husband's business partner. yeah like, yeah no but the thought icky? but but then no i think that she, he was damaged goods and she didn't want that for her daughter. That's what I think. And I also think she was jealous. I really do think she was jealous. Oh, I do think that she's jealous. But I think, I don't think that she loves him because she's not talked to him. I mean, if she loves him, it's because of something she's projected um, upon attachment. him. Or because he symbolizes like a child to her too. Sexual addiction or an attachment is what I think a little bit. He feels something. He feels a need right. in her that she doesn't. She doesn't want that to go away because I think that he having sex with him anesthetized her pain. You know, so For she a thinks she's sexual addiction to him probably. She also admits that she's an alcoholic, and and you know that she's just very unhappily married. And of course, then we find out she was married. Because she got pregnant, there's no other kids, which implies that they <clears throat> may not have a lot of sex. I don't know. I guess there's just like a one little scene with her and Mr. Robinson in the same room with him. But there's not a lot of interaction between Mr. Robinson and Mrs. Robinson. You no. don't really see that right. dynamic other than that the dynamic is very cold. Wow, and that scene when he comes to pick Elaine up for the first date and she's laying on the couch watching TV so angry just like simmering with anger oh my god that was so uncomfortable it was great i mean uh i i really don't understand why dustin hoffman's character left mrs robinson for the daughter uh to me that's kind of like choosing new york strip over filet mignon i mean sure new york strip is good but i mean why would you do that that's also what he needed at that age. Like we're talking about that period of time. You really need your peer group. 
Yeah. And I have clients who are struggling because their kids are at that age where what their friends do and say and where they're going and the things that they are planning are very, very important to them. And it's very normal. It is the, right. It's how we build communities. You get together. It's how people find their mates, right? Just biologically, we're driven that way. It's a time of being far more social. I mean, now we may know so many more people because we've had, you know, decades of experience, but at the same time, I'm not as into, like, I used to throw parties in my early 20s, but it was like, I would invite anybody I'd fucking met. Right. Like, it was like, I'd meet somebody at the grocery store and invite them to my party. Yeah, that doesn't like interest me anymore. Yeah. Right. And now it's like, no, I'd rather have a smaller, intimate dinner party. I'd rather have, you know, a few really close friends than a lot. And I think at that age, that's also why I thought it was weird that he's never around other people his age. That was weird. That really, I didn't, that was something I noticed more now than when I saw it the first time. And the isolation that that indicates. Yes. And he's been back east, so he's coming back to a totally different environment. That's not something also that's kind of interesting about the music being as melancholic that kind of melanch- as it is it is very melancholy because it's really in a juxtaposition with sunny california right and all these shots of him like in the pool and everything that just feel almost like a hockney painting right where he's just this bronze boy floating the sun is high and shining and it's all bright it, you know you would expect that like this should be the greatest time in your life but a lot of people that age are really it's a hard it's a it's a really and... hard time that's that right after you graduate from college because it's like what now and you know i don't think it's any different now just going back to that i think that there is that expectation even more so now because college is so expensive yes you know and it's such a huge financial commitment for the parents or if you take out student loans or whatever so then after you're done like what so it is not surprising that someone like Benjamin would get into a situation that like that, that he got into because she offered escape. The cycle of you graduate from college and then you get a job with with a company or a firm, like for men at that time, like yeah. you're talking again, like on a gender era culture basis, like. The guy who says plastic. There's a great future in plastics. Think about it. What do you think about it? Yes, I will. I've said that's a deal. You can imagine that he would go and get a job with this guy, a starting <coughs> job, and, you know, work the next 30 years at that company. Yeah. And it's him questioning, is that is that all there is, right? Is that all there is? Yeah. So uh, even though Peggy Lee is not in the show, that's, she should she be, just, God she, damn it. That song just should fucking be... Is that all there is? Is that all there is? There's a struggle between what is expected, what is traditional, and seeing his parents and the other people, whether it's Mrs. Robinson or the lighter, up, more upbeat women, who are all, too, in that first scene. All those other women are flirting with him, too. They are all that. It's like, they all... Did, did nobody have sex with their husbands in that movie? 
the housewives, the family friends, like, do they all do this? Do they all go around and seduce each other's kids? Hi, is yeah. Like, like, when, when is that? When was that was uncovered? Now? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Is they, do they have like secret society meetings, right. you know, They're... where they sit around in leopard underwear? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like we do. I mean, um, that's not, I, uh... well, and long before Sharon Stone, that scene of her that you were talking about at the beginning, the first, this, the first seduction scene where he's, taken her home and she's in the den and she's wearing the stockings and it's almost a beave shot you know she it's like very her close leg. to a beave it's Those a near beave stockings and garbage near beave near beave it's a near beave experience <laughs> <laughs> yeah you wonder did they have like lingerie parties like they have tupperware parties <laughs> although nowadays we have lingerie parties those those actually really do happen they now. do exist but yeah, there was that feeling that they all wanted. They were all a little pervy. They're all kind they of like were. vampiric in a way. Like, well, like I don't kids blood. Don't you know? Or dick. I don't know. Well, hello. <laughs> brown chicken. Brown, brown. Dick sucking. Dick sucking middle-aged women. <laughs> that sounds like a category at Drake's. Dick Anyways. sucking middle-aged women. Yes. It's over there it's by fetish, fetishism mm, and hot dogs. Not as embarrassing as being a middle-aged accidental tinkler. <laughs> Marcy, would you like to share that story? I would. Okay. I told Jenny I was okay. going to share it today. Yes. Those you don't know. Personal. Personal moments. <laughs> a few months ago, Miss Marcy taped what she thought was a stand-up comedy special. And turns out it was cut up into a... Commercial for bladder control pads. Well, actually, bladder control panties. Always bladder control panties. Always. I now have a new catchphrase. Hey, it happened. And it's on the internet with the title, Confessions of an Accidental Middle-Aged Tinkler. I felt really sexy when that happened. So you can Google that as well as Mrs. <laughs> Robinson's boob. Yes, and you'll see a formerly much fatter Miss Marcy. <laughs> That's it's very true. You have, yeah, I yeah, have like I have toned up since yeah. that was filmed. I did look like I had twenty seven chins. I hated that. I have not Googled Mrs. Robinson's boob, but I have in okay. So from when you Googled it, do, do we actually see Mrs. Robinson's boob? We is no. there actually a frame of? And there's kind of like a little. There's a shot that looks like it's supposed to be her popo, her beave, her down below whatever you want to call it her vagina but it's not really when i have a, I, like of, i said i have a friend who's done the right but i thought that maybe when you googled it you knew you'd found out whether or not there's actually i'm gonna tell you right now i went on to another site because i was i got that mrs robinson's uh um nothing like being prepared marcy oh <laughs> eat my <laughs> vagina <laughs> I'm a vegetarian. I don't go in for fish. <laughs> Ew. Ew. That's gross, Jenny. Kidding. I love vagina. I've eaten plenty of vagina in my never. day. I know you haven't. Miss Marcy has never eaten a vagina. Hi, Mom. Um, <laughs> Hi, Mom. It's a good thing that my mother doesn't listen to this or anything else I do. My mother thinks we're hilarious. <laughs> Um, um, okay, 15 celebrity nude scenes that actually used a body double, so there is speculation that that was not her boob. My friend is not the only one who thought that wasn't her boob with his friends. He did the 
you know, blow by the, 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 the scene. blow by blow. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Shot by shot, frame by frame, slow down. There are pages and pages. Okay. So we're going to just leave vintage that up to nylon you guys. stockings, vintage nylon stockings, strip tees. Like there are like low level porns where they, where they, uh, you know, well, are there most porns are low level where hard curl retro milf, big boobs, Suck and fuck, Mrs. Robinson. Yeah, now it's getting to be sort of like Little Darlings and the pervy Germans. Pervy Germans. It's like you're getting into yeah. the dark net. Oh my gonna, god, this is so dark. You're some really weird ads on the side of your Google page Oh my now. god, but Maybe wait. Maybe for a dick, a dick hippity hop is going to pop up on your Amazon page. <laughs> because you've Googled Mrs. Robinson's breast... You None might be of the interested in... older characters, some trivia just came up, in the film has their first name identified. Mm-hmm. Only the younger characters of Benjamin, Elaine, and Carl do. Yes. Mrs. Robinson does not have a first name. She does not have a first name. Yes. Another very interesting little point. Apparently, Dustin Hoffman's screen test consisted of him fumbling his lines and awkwardly trying to grab Catherine Ross's behind, which angered her. As he left thinking he didn't get the role, his awkwardness was just what director Mike Nichols needed. You know, guys uh, of a certain age all relate to Benjamin, like being confused and how you're supposed to act. Yep. That's a Another thing to remember is that in 1960 was when the pill was approved and marketed. So this movie is also coming out in the wake of that, that women's lib, women's sexual freedom really has started opening up. The amount of women who were (coughs) having sex before they got married increased. The questioning of the traditional familial roles. And sex was after they were married, not with their husbands, I guess. Well, again, and like we've talked about in other films, this is another example of a movie at a certain time in history where none of the conversations about birth control or sexual diseases come up at all. They don't seem to be a concern. Well, this was really early on, you know? Sure. But there still were STDs. Absolutely. I mean, guys were still going off to the army. They were getting syphilis in the war. Clap, right? Yeah. Yeah. And crabs. There is an element of fetishism to the film with the The stockings. stockings. Yeah. There is a lot of, like, when we, when you Google Mrs. Robinson's booth, there's a lot of fetish sites that come up. Apparently, you know, it plays into a lot of. The, the stockings, the older woman, the, you know, there's a lot of fetishes that come up from that film. So there you go. Not that there's anything wrong with that. As long as it's between consenting adults, it's all oh. good. In the famous promotional still for the film, Dustin Hoffman's seen in the background frame by Mrs. Robinson's shapely leg. The leg in that photo didn't belong to Anne Bancroft. <laughs> It was played by then-unknown model Linda Gray, who later played Mrs. Robinson in a London stage musical of The Graduate. Blah, blah, blah. In the hotel. Have you gotten this room yet? I haven't, no. Do you want to? When we first see Buck Henry, I'm wondering, how old do you think Buck Henry is? Like, how much older than Benjamin is Buck? Because he doesn't look that much older than no. him and and benjamin seems so awkward it kind of reminded me of in fast times at ridge not fast times um 
the last American Virgin where they went to buy the the crab medicine or the the yeah the crab yeah. medicine and like we've talked about I think it's American Graffiti right where he's trying to buy liquor or condoms and that awkwardness of trying to ask for something right. that you want but feeling like you're being naughty and not wanting to be direct and that whole exchange between Buck Henry and him that awkwardness reminded me of those other he sequences. He can't be because. Dustin Hoffman is 76 now, and Buck Henry is, you know, still alive and kicking, so how much older could he be than him? Right, and he doesn't look that much older to me. No, well, it's all fine. So, so even though in reality he may have been around the same age, they could have both been around 29, also Buck Henry was the creator of Get Smart, like the co-creator with Mel Brooks of Get Smart yeah. at that time. I see Mel Brooks around all the time personal personal moments at lenny's deli he used to hang out at junior's deli i see him there all the time this was one of those things when i was watching and i'm so glad that you brought that up because it just reminded me of something that i didn't have written down here when i was watching there's the scene where he takes i think it's where he takes elaine to the hotel to get the drink and he's holding the door open and all the older people are coming out. It's so like this endless stream of old people coming out, older, elderly couples, all dressed up from a big night out at the Taft, coming out of the hotel. It just seems to just not stop, and he's holding the door. Very symbolic. And then as they're about to go in, then all these young kids start going in right. pre-prom or after prom. But all those older people coming out, it just reminded me of you and I going to juniors. Like, like we've had that experience. <laughs> oh, my God. Jenny holding, and I have had many. Holding the door for all the blue hairs. Yes. we've Jenny and I have had many brunches at Junior's Deli, which is now Lenny's Deli, where we were the only ones not on a walker. <laughs> or eating tuna. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, Buck Henry is 84. He was born in 1930. Uh, he was born in 1930, and Dustin Hoffman was born in 1939. Okay. So he's nine years older than him. Okay, so so he is like 10 years older, and that awkwardness, yeah. you know, plays, I guess, an interesting... William Daniels is 88, so he's only like 14 years older than Dustin Hoffman. Isn't that crazy? Looking at the opening sequence at LAX... And, well, first of all, the, the early shots when he's on the plane, it was stunning to me how big the seats on the plane were yes. and everything. And, like, how luxurious it looked and, and kind of special flying was at that time. And then the shots of LAX, I just found really nostalgic, even though I wasn't even born at that time, but just... I love watching older movies and seeing Los Angeles and its other oh, incarnations. Oh, I do too. And seeing how I different do too. It is. Long before you had to go through long TSA lines and people could wait for you right outside. You know, it's funny, even in my lifetime, because I was born and raised here, I was having lunch on Melrose with a friend the other day who did not grow up here. And I said to him, you know, it's so funny sometimes when I'm sitting here because I went to Fairfax High. And when I went to, I went to Melrose Avenue Elementary School. And when I went to Melrose Avenue Elementary School, which is right in the heart of the trendiest, you know, Melrose is such a trendy street. When I went there, it was like all lighting stores and hardware stores and maybe a donut shop. There was nothing. It was nothing. 
the uh, Aardvark was opening up. That was like the first Aardvark. Aardvark. Aardvark's Odd Ark. That's where J.T. Harding worked when he first came out here. Wow. That, uh, it's, you know, it's changed so much. You know what else we need to talk about is all the crazy small roles in there who played them. My favorite is Richard Dreyfus. Yes. Just that one little scene. Should it's we call the, the cops? Or scene, yeah, like? should we call the cops? It's that scene when, when uh, Benjamin's in Berkeley and they get in the fight. And Norman Fell, Mr. Roper. Mr. Roper plays his uh, landlord, right? I don't like you. Yeah, and he opens the door, and the 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 other guy behind him, one of the other yeah, one of the other students there. Should I call the cops? It was Richard Dreyfuss's first role. One line, that you know, how cool is that? And then the the women at the party at the hotel. There was two women from Bewitched. Yes, that was awesome. On Glad Aunt Agnes and Gladys Cratchit, right? Gladys Kravitz. Kravitz. Yeah, yeah, they were both in that same scene. There was a big payoff to that too. I mean, there are some really funny, <coughs> funny, Mr. Funny Gladstone. Moments. Hello, Mr. Gladstone. Great to see you, Mr. Gladstone. I don't know. I must look like this Gladstone fellow, or whatever the line is. It's yeah, things like that that have such great payoffs. But overall, would you call it a comedy? I mean, it's been classified as a comedy. It's dark. It's dark. Yeah, I don't feel like it's a comedy. I mean, it's a dark comedy. Yeah, it's a comedy, but it's a dark comedy. It's a tragic comedy. I still say it's a comedy. I'd say it's it's a dramedy with more drama than, than comedy in some ways. But it's not like... Well, no, there are some moments that I think are kind of heavy-handed dra- dramatic. But that's all just Mrs. Robinson being... Cuckoo. Cuckoo. I mean, I think and she's kind of narcissistic, too. borderline, depressive, alcoholic, self-medicating, you know, manipulative. Jenny is a therapist. <laughs> In case none of you knew that, it just became clear. You know, attention-seeking. It's tragic. How do the you really feel about that, Jenny? I think how I really feel is that it pisses me off at the end where she's like grabbing Elaine and trying to stop her from yeah. running off. And she's like, it's too late. And Elaine says, not for me. And I think that that is, that embodies the whole movie. That to me is like the exchange. And it's one of the only exchanges I think you see between uh, Mrs. Robinson and Elaine. Yeah. And the only other time that they're together in a scene is where he runs in and tells Elaine that Mrs. Robinson basically reveals that she's the woman. And that's and then it cuts to that shot of Mrs. Robinson in the hallway in the white corner of the hallway and it mirrors that moment of him in the scuba suit suffocating yeah. as you put it you know in the pool I mean the the she's shot for shot again. yeah she's suffocating she's trapped I mean they're both like trapped in the aquarium she right became water a, is a big to theme me, in the film she became a bit of a monster. And that's something else that's talked about in a lot of analysis is as sexual as she seems and as, as much of a, a symbol of sexual freedom or this, you know, this tantalizing affair that so many people, so many young men would love to have had an experience like that. There's also something 
so predatory. Why is there? Why is why does it happen in so many movies where what seems like a free sexual affair becomes like uh, what about like basic instinct? You know, or there's so many times where there's so many repercussions to what starts out as like a just a crazy wonderful affair. She was hot from afar, but then she took me down to the basement and seduced me, and then I went into her room and we had hot, passionate sex, and it was incredible. But my best friend was there, same age, and he didn't have anybody. So I felt kind of bad the next day. So Mrs. Robinson is not without collateral damage. Well, that, but, that's this, such but a... it's not really a crazy one. I mean, they, no. they're not, like, running off, and she's not rediscovering her youth. I think that that's kind of what's really sad, is maybe it's on some sad, level she yeah. thinks that she will. But it almost feels like vengeful and spiteful she's always there's always something about her where she's laughing at him it's the humiliation yeah sit down benjamin 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 you've known me all your life benjamin i am not trying to seduce you and just the way she talked to him the way she said the word benjamin benjamin i want you to know that i'm available to you benjamin 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 hello benjamin benjamin where are you benjamin the room number benjamin i think you ought to tell me that Yeah, it's and that's kind of the subdominant thing. That's kind of how she keeps her control. Like, I'm not taking you seriously, which I think also speaks to what you're talking about before as well. You know, that this feeling that she's really in love with him, that there's really this attachment, that there's this need that she's seeking him to fulfill. She, which he can't, which nobody can fulfill, because what's empty inside of Mrs. Robinson is a hole that can't be filled. It's true. But I think that's why it makes me so angry at the end with that moment with her and Elaine. Is, yeah. It's like, why would you do that to your child? Yeah. Hey, it's too late! Not for me! You know, why she are you... She's a bit of a monster. They, they push her into marrying this guy it, who, as far as we know, she's not pregnant because of him. Unless she, they've told him she is. I mean, she and, and we know nothing about him, too. barely knows the guy. Really? I thought that they'd said that they'd been friends for a long time. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. But not, you know, it never struck me as a romance. Well, and then when he goes to the fraternity, when Ben goes to the fraternity to try to find out where it is, and first of all, they're all blonde-haired and blue and look just like him, which also contrasts so greatly with his little brown, you know, highly tanned Jewiness. Highly tanned Jewiness. (laughs) Also one of my former stripper names. Welcome to the stage. Highly tan Jewiness. Bum chicka bum I guess I do have to ask, uh, on a side note, is that really inappropriate for me to say? No. Okay. I want to be culturally sensitive. Oh, fuck it. (laughs) It's that fine line between being yourself, being funny, and... You know, yeah. Adequately describing something and... I have PC fatigue. Yeah. I'm so tired of having to think worry. So in that scene where he's there with all those blue-eyed, blonde-haired boys, and they're all talking about how Carl is the big man on or the the makeout king. They call him the makeout king, and and they're all making jokes that she must have a bun in the oven or something. And I thought that was very interesting too, because well, that's the only reason that you would get married at that age, right? Benjamin seemed to have made marrying elaine or elaine just in general like the meaning for his life he has no idea what he's doing but suddenly it's like well i'm gonna marry her which really is kind of sad actually will you marry me are we getting married tomorrow why 
why don't you just drag me off if you want to marry me so much? You can't stop me from seeing her, Mrs. Robinson. I'll find her. What do you think happened? What do you think? When they got off the bus? I mean, like, where were they going to go? Like, running off with someone is not the be-all and end-all. Maybe that sounds bitter of me, but what happened? He still didn't know it's... what he wanted to do with his life. He still didn't know. Well, and does she? Yeah. But it was very radical. And then... But at least she didn't have to marry that guy. So he saved her from that. But then, you know, what if, like, after all that happened and they were really excited, what if they looked at each other and went, and now what? The guy who wrote the book wrote a sequel. Right, I know. And... In the sequel, they get married. They're married, and it's... <coughs> they were going to make the sequel, too, and I think no one wanted to see oh, it. Oh, really? I yeah. thought that it was that he couldn't... He wouldn't sell the rights because they wouldn't give him permission to be involved if oh. they, they made it. I don't or, think I'd want to see a sequel to it. I think that, like, that's a movie best left... The ending is left to everybody's imagination. I don't think there's anything they could do in a sequel that I would want to see, you know, because it would... We, we all have our own picture of what happened afterwards. And the sequel will just be like, I don't know. I don't think it could ever meet everybody's expectations. I can't imagine it doing well, you know? Well, that ending embodies a feeling that I think everybody has at certain points in your life when you fought so hard for something or to finish something or to get through something or to get to someone or get out of something. And then suddenly... You have that moment of it's done, it's over, you've, maybe you've accomplished something that you were trying to, and then you're just in this holding pattern again. It's almost like graduating from college where it's like, okay, now what? Is that all there is? Now we've just gotten through all of that. And that's really the feeling of the end of that is now what? Like you said, everybody has their own interpretation of what that is. But it's a very familiar moment, I think, to everyone. Just the right. two of them looking like deer in the headlight. At first, they're all giddy, like, yeah, we fucking did it. It's like, it's like when you finish a, a show, when you right. finish a movie. And then finish... there's that, like, what now? You know, this is about the time in the show where, where Jenny would ask me if it was like a panties up or panties down. But the interesting thing is and why I went out and I recorded a lot of my male friends doing sound bites is I think this is the first show that we've covered, the first movie we've covered where the I feel funny down there was pretty much all men. Yeah, I don't know that I had any real I mean and and maybe that's a problem yeah, I don't know if it's a problem. Uh or maybe that's the result of of casting Dustin Hoffman. I mean Dustin Hoffman doesn't I imagine Dustin Hoffman doesn't dampen a lot of panties, even though we he does both not make mine looks... moist. <laughs> Jenny hates the word moist. I am not alone. So yeah, but for our male friends, it was a panties definite panties down, and I'm gonna imagine that it was not a white. Tidy whities <laughs> ugly underpants down. I'm going to imagine that it was a good man's underpants down. And the thing that struck me most about the movie was that this guy had got himself involved with these two beautiful women, and it, the whole situation got completely away from him, and it seemed completely real. I wanted 
to ask you. Jizz. J- did you say jizz? J- j- no, I did not say jizz, Jenny. Jizz is the word, is the word, is the word, is the feeling. Jizz. What are your feelings about jizz? Well, sometimes it's not tidy. Oh, sorry. What are your feelings about the term and the mythology of the cougar? Oh, wow. That's a big question, Miss J. I think um, it's an interesting thing to talk about. And, and is, it a, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I it- think, I don't understand why when a woman is is in a sexual relationship with a younger man, she's a scary predatory animal. But with a man, it's just accepted that it's okay. There's no predatory animal name for an older man, younger woman. But when when we, as, you know, women, and, and like I said, when I was in a situation where I had a relationship with a younger man, I wasn't predatory with him. It was actually him that started it. Right. Very different from Mrs. Robinson. Yeah, so I guess I didn't have a Mrs. Robinson that's, experience. Yeah, yeah that, I, mean, that was I think that's why you were, were telling that. Story. Yeah, because Jenny knows Jenny was around when I had that experience, and I it was very much him that and he sought was an me adult. out. I mean, he wasn't yeah. just like right out of college, and we're he still friends. Like, yeah, and he's I mean, a great guy. He's and, yeah, he's wonderful. With. Yeah, that's the question too. Is is the term cougar this negative thing or? have we or can we take it back sort of like the word bitch you know like that there are some people like i mean like amy poehler and tina fey talk about the word bitch and really taking it and embracing it i was thinking you know there are there are older men with younger women like you talk about like the creepy old guy or the lech yeah but so i think it's kind of also based on attractiveness you know it's like it, it an older man with a younger woman can I think it would be, I mean, I'm really trying to be fair here, that there, there is, if it's the, the older or creepier it is, kind of the Donald Sterling, is it Donald Ooh. Sterling kind Ooh. of thing? It, yeah. yeah, I mean, it just seems kind of lecherous. It seems kind of like the creepy old guy. Yeah. But if it's like somebody it's totally hot and super foxy, like if it's a silver fox. Right. Then or, you know, going back to one of our other shows, you know, Little Darlings, when Armand Asante, oh, Hello, Daddy. You yeah. know, of course he wasn't seducing her, but but, but still, yes, as yeah. an older, like as an as an object of one's affection or attraction, an older man definitely, you know, if they're attractive, it doesn't seem so pervy. Um, but pervy if Germans, pervy sorry, Germans. But if they're unattractive, then it sort of becomes right. Ew. Like, that's the creep. I don't know. I just think it's an interesting thing because I think some people are really eager to go like, well, and, and myself too. Like, well, why does it have to be a cougar? Why does it have to be this bad thing? Why does it? And I'm not quite sure if that's being fair or not. What do you mean? You don't think, you don't have a problem with the term cougar? Or? I don't know that I have a problem with it, but, you know, but I, but I see how other people could. Like, yeah. I, I kind of see both sides of it. Yeah, I guess I see what you're saying. But no, I don't like it. I don't, I, you know, like I said, I don't understand why for, for women, it's a predatory animal term. And for men, it's just, oh, you know, rock on, man. Good for you. Look at you. Yeah. You know, like, like when a man shows up with a younger woman, you know, he's like, all right, you know, but when a woman shows up with a younger man, it's like, oh, look at you cooking it up, you know? Or, or even 
in an older man with a younger woman, nobody just even thinks anything. No, right. It's like but, not even, it's yeah, not even a but high it's, five moment yeah. as much as like, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I think in longer term relationships, it seems much more socially acceptable for an older man with a younger woman. And there are lots of benefits to being with an older woman. We're more experienced. We're more sure of ourselves. We're more in touch we with We know what to do with our vaginas. And with your penis. We do. We know all the penis playtime tricks. And <laughs> there's also old traditions over time you know, where older women used to train the young men. They used to be the sexual teachers. They used to be that experience, even though it wasn't necessarily broadcast. We could start a business, cougaree, like Jimboree. <laughs> you just drop off your 20-something guys. 20-something guys. Yeah. Like everybody signs releases. Yeah. Make well, sure they bring 20, their toothbrush. They're 20-something, like so it's all fine. Everything's legal. Uh, we are yeah. not pervy Germans. But I think Mrs. Robinson probably benefited Benjamin in the long run by, you know, he learned how. Because when you see him later, yeah, but kiss if you, Elaine. Yeah, the kiss is so much better. The difference between oh, my the God. kisses and the confidence in which he approaches her and grabs her. But were they ever able to get past the point that he learned all of that from her mother? That's a good question. That's what icky. Now, man? You know, that what? is icky times. And also, as Elaine, how do you ever fool around with someone and not get that out of your head? Yeah, that's, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I could share a man with my Lois. <laughs> and that's a, that's a whole <laughs> other conversation. Right. You know, on top of that. And, and there's something, yes, pervy. There's something really psychologically twisted about that, too. About the the sharing a man fooling around with a guy who is the same age as your child like who's like a peer of your kid it's right almost, that's weird yeah i mean obviously in movies like class where it's the same gender there's something maybe a little even more twisted about it there's definitely the sexual competitiveness i think that he represents youth and potential and the sad part to me is i feel like mrs robinson is just trying to suck up and squash both benjamin and elaine's yeah. youth and potential no she is i agree with you yeah she's uh she is not a good she is a dark character and then you know as an adult i'm watching it and it it the, the movie has a completely different meaning mrs robinson went from being the beautiful sexy seductress to the sad alcoholic who's taking advantage of a young man and Ben went from the cool, out-of-college guy sticking it to the man to becoming this weird stalker of Mrs. Robinson's daughter, who he, he had one bad date with and became completely obsessed with. And it, I don't know, it's just a, it's, it's a rare, rare movie that you can see with completely set different sets of eyes over you know your over your life and it's a, it's a different totally different movie but apparently incredibly sexy to our male the men in our life they find that that first glimpse of leg or when she was naked a lot of them have said to me you know you didn't see that then as a young boy you didn't see and 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 that almost naked i mean what it it drove them to try and find you know i love that i love that story about them trying to find her boob which 
I totally get it. I would have done the same thing. Yeah, it's a very cute story to me. As we wrap up, let's go through the questionnaire. Okay. Uh, we've talked about why we chose to cover this movie. Critics really liked the movie, although some people, as, as I said at first, some Hollywood insiders, people didn't think that it would do well. It did so well. Another critical thing that's interesting is Roger Ebert loved the movie and was just stunned and blown away by it when it first came out, but then years later revised his opinion of it. Well, so did we. I mean, I, you know, it's really weird to me because it was, it's always been one of my favorite movies and I rewatched it recently. Yeah, I love the movie, but my opinion of it is very different. For you, what is sexy about this movie? I think that why this movie was sexy to people is sexual awakening. Like, I think anything, and we've done a lot fantasy. of fantasy, that that which is left unseen, unsaid, where, where it took your imagination. I always find that sexier than actual seeing action. Like... Uh, potential for nudity, potential for sex, you know. It could be now. It could be now. Yeah, well, because I have a very rich, I have a very rich fantasy life, so it can take me. So for me, that is a bigger trigger than like, like I don't like like major hardcore porn at all. It makes me a little nauseous, really, you know. I I like I like the porn I see in my own head much better. And it's interesting that so many men have the response that you you've been talking about because yeah. typically women are the way that you're describing right we are we we get off more on the fantasy on what our imaginations can do and men really do like the visual. visual yeah yeah what you said about looking for it though wait, <coughs> waiting for it hoping it's kind of around yeah the next shot is probably part of the it's titillating software. titillating titillation 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 <laughs> What's unique about this movie? I mean, cinematically, it did things a lot of movies hadn't done. I think that, that time. the way it was shot and edited was brilliant. I really And the do. sound design, the way they used Ugh. music was very different. It was all groundbreaking at the time. And what do you think it's saying about sex and relationships? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, other than what we've already yeah, we've about, so much it covered it. Summing it up, you know, um, I do. I think for some people, it's a, a film about sexual awakening, and I think that's what you know maybe it set out to be. But it gets so much darker than that. I think one of the things it touches upon is: is there is it possible to have sex without feeling? Mrs. Robinson. Do you think we could say a few words to each other first this time? I don't think we have much to say to each other. Because so many feelings come into play. Not the healthiest feelings. But, but he, Mrs. he wants to like bond with her and yeah. have a conversation with her. She so he has that feeling and she bonds with him in a really dark way that I don't think she expected. And it becomes very ugly. So in some ways it's a cautionary sexual tale. And also the relationships between parents and children and sexuality and what are the lessons that we're taught as young people? Like, where do you learn that? Where, are you, again, especially if all you are is surrounded by adults, where are you going to learn 
about sex. Right. And if you're not in a fraternity, you know, with the makeout king, where are you going to learn those lessons and who are, who are going to be your We teachers? never knew. I mean, we, there was, you know, they intimated what Dustin Hoffman's life was like in college, Benjamin's life was like in college, but was he in a fraternity? Was he, we never met, as we've talked about so much on the show, we never met his friends. No. You never, you, you never also heard him talk about whether he wanted to go back east where he, I mean, yeah. I came out here for college and I stayed here. This is where I built my future, right? right. Going to college, a lot of times you build your future where you are or you stay where your friends are going to be the people that you've met and connected with. There, there was another moment that I talked about just briefly, but this reminded me of in the parents where he's having the conversation with his mother where his mother's asking him where he goes at night and she's standing in the doorway and he's shaving which is an act a very manly act right, right about being grown up and she, the mother's standing in the doorway looking incredibly sexy in a right and he's in a towel yeah i mean it's like and and the conversation she could almost be having it with her husband like so where do you go at night where you and know, she didn't even knock on the door that was weird no. yeah benji Darling, I'm uh, going to ask you something, but you don't you don't have to tell me if you don't want to. What? Well, I'm going to ask you what you do when you go off at night. When I go off? You don't have to tell me if you don't want to. And there's the boundary issue, yeah. right? There, there's so many like, in that shit movie, yeah. Yeah, and also how it doesn't respect him as an adult. Right. It's very unclear. It's like you've got to be an adult and do these adult things, but I'm still you're still in your parents' house and we're still gonna treat you like a child, except for right. when it suits us to treat you like an adult. Right. But now it, we wanna treat you like a child, so get into your fancy new toy and get into that pool and entertain our guests. You know, play with your new toy in front of the adults like They like were a good like kid. toys, yeah. Yeah. Well, are there any characters you relate to? Me <laughs> a little bit to Mr. Robinson, maybe, but I did a little bit, you know. Um but maybe not. You know, as we've talked about it, no. But I think as an I, actor and as an artist, oh, I love her. We can, yeah. I mean, I think, and and as as somebody interested in psychology as a, as a therapist, that there's this there's this tragic quality. To it's her a tragic that, character. Yeah, that I do relate to. And I, love. but I think that I think we all relate to Benjamin a little more because we've talked about that that like lost feeling after call. I remember feeling that way. Oh my god. And it, sometimes it happens not even after college. Sometimes it happens, you know, in the middle where you realize, like, you've been working towards a goal of any kind, like a job, and you yeah. get it, and you realize, like, wait a minute, this is not for me. This is not what I thought it would right. be. I'm not, I'm not satisfied or I'm not fulfilled. And maybe there, there's an issue with that, too. Are we always seeking that kind of fulfillment? And also escaping through sexuality or finding yourself. But, you know, what does it mean to become a man? What does it mean to become a woman? And there's that coming of age virginity loss thread that we've talked about in the past too, which is present in here. But yeah, I'm with you. I think we relate to Benjamin and I relate to Mrs. Robinson's sadness. Not that I carry that same alcoholic depressive sadness, but I think that it's a familiar feeling for a lot of people. It's both boy sexy and girl sexy I think it's boy girl sexy like Mrs. Robinson is. Yeah, I think, I think we I think we really... Yeah, and I think we all have that seducing someone fantasy. And she's just but she's got both masculine and feminine energy. She does, yeah. 
another thing about the smoking where he doesn't smoke at the beginning yeah like he's such a good clean cut boy doesn't Mm. smoke in the room and the awkwardness but that first scene where she comes up to ask him for a ride and she kind she kind of stalks him going up there he kind of yeah oh yeah had his fill of all the other family friends practically pinching his cheeks and she i think relates to his feelings of isolation and being lost and confused Right. And she seeks him out in With that her moment. Smoking. She's so sexy in that bedroom. She scene. is. Just she's a bad girl. Yeah, she's naughty. When she flicks her ash on his And then she throws the key car keys into the fish tank. Yeah. I love that. I'm gonna start doing that. <laughs> I'm gonna go up to men and throw my car keys in their fish tanks. <laughs> that That's gonna be like my euphemism. Thing. That's gonna think be my new sexy move. Well we know that this movie has stood up over time. Do you think it's going to continue to be eternally yes, sexy? I do. I think that there's there's always going to be a, a a lost man looking for love in all the wrong places. And I know there's always going to be repressed women who are trying to exert power with their sexuality. So, yeah, I think it will hold up. And it's, you know, really well made. I do think it's a film that when it means different things to you at different phases in your life. Though, definitely, it's one of those films. It's definitely a film that I want to prescribe to some clients. Nice. Uh, panties up and panties down. We already talked about, but um, midway. Yeah, it's a I half. Mean, I... It's a top of the mound. Gas mask. <laughs> top of the mound to top you. Top of the mound to you, Miss Jenny. Top of the cock to you, Miss Marcy. Well, thanks so much. Um. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in and joining us for this episode of Cinema Sex Ed. Um, play well with others at recess. Play well. No running in the halls. Share your Sammies. Stop sticking gum under your desks, all right? Oh, I'm going to stick gum under my desk, Miss Jenny, because I'm bad. I'm bad to the core. Okay, now the, I'm just imagining, you know, we used to always say, like, you'd see, like, a nut sack and it just looked like somebody sat in gum like <laughs> i have never felt that jenny i wonder what kind of nut sacks you've been coming up against and i don't want to know oh my god harry ball sack harry ball sack i used to strip under that name <laughs> oh oh speaking of stripping under that name the one thing we didn't talk about was and just, I know we're, we're, we've wrapped up, but I think that this is really an important, an important thing. You know, whenever you say Harry Balsack, epiphanies happen. <laughs> epiphanies happen. The strip club scene. Another oh, yeah. thing that was so interesting about that scene where it's Ben taking Elaine out on a date and it's his attempt to kind of isolate her to protect his relationship and be loyal to his connection with Mrs. Roberts, Robertson, Robinson. This was also an example to me of role modeling. And his first sexual experience were, was humiliation, and then he had to beg for like forgiveness and there's there's this pushing and this pulling and then this final escape of passion this scene kind of mirrors that he does that to her he He does. does to her what mrs robinson did to him and you see that why i think that that's really significant and important to mention is because so many of us in the our early sexual experiences they really shape 
how we go into relationships, how we see them and how we treat others and how we come to learn what is expected. And if that is your first teacher, it can be very dysfunctional. And he does a good job of sort of re uh, recalibrating by the end of it. You know what, Jenny, that's so true because the first time I had sex, it was on top of a washing machine <laughs> in my the, the guy's parents' house. And often now when I have sex, I ask people to sit on washing machines. <laughs> So I, <laughs> I'm talking about emotionally, the, the relationship dynamics, the sexual dynamics. What do we come to see as seduction? What do we come right. to see as love, as affection and, and clean underpants and clean underpants <laughs> and washing machines. Anyways, I just think that that's something no, I, to I think agree about with you. And, and worth po pointing out because it really struck me when you're sitting there and I really felt for Elaine in this. Oh kind of God. Yes. The, and, yes. And then he realizes at a moment watching her, I think what, what he'd happened. done. Yeah. What he'd done and also what had been done to him. And he fell in love with her right there with the boobs knocking on her head <laughs> with the woman behind her. Those, that, that was very impressive. Those some those, long those swingy boobies, man. Yeah. But the, she worked those pasties like. I know. I could not do that. I can't move. I can't move one boob in a well, circle, you let have, alone. Yeah, I know. They're the, small. You have niblets. But, but lots of small chested women can do that. I am just not one of them. Personal. Personal moments. And on that note, we'll say goodbye, class. Shh, be good. No running in the halls. Or if you can't be good, be very, very bad. Baby. Cinema sex ed. Cinema sex ed. Money shot. Anal intruder. Cleveland steamer. Gas mask. Cinema sex ed. Cinema sex ed. Reverse cowgirl. <laughs> Yeehaw! Teabagging. Kama Sutra. Kama my face. Cinema sex ed. Cinema sex ed. Heaven holds a place for those who bring hay. Hey, hey, hey. Heaven holds a place. For those who bray. And then the, for the one, the one, for, here's to you. Uh, and here's to you, Mrs. Robinson.